The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I got a phone call, and they were like, hey, are you coming to the funeral? And I said, funeral? And they're like, we have a shot. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I was like, literally just flabbergasted. I was like, holy crap. And so my heart sunk. Everybody was angry. Like it was straight up how everybody would react now, but like before all of the the media and like the spotlight on it, like people were pissed. The problem with cops today and the problem with that cop specifically, they're all worried about one thing, getting their fucking asses beat. They're so scared that they reach for their gun first instead of saying, I'm going to go hands-on and put this guy on the ground, put handcuffs on him, take his ass to jail. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. We're recording this episode very early in the morning, and Alexis looks like a very sexy Steve Jobs, and I look like a trash can. So there's really, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. You do not look like a trash can, A. B, I had a very early meeting. This isn't natural. (laughs) And the meeting had a ring light. No one ever, no one looks good in the morning. No. So this is all smoke and mirrors. And that's what the one silver lining to meetings turning into Zoom meetings post-pandemic, you can really razzle-dazzle when you're doing it remotely. I don't even have pants on. Exactly. Sweatpants always. Throw on that beauty filter on Zoom. I just learned about that and uh, you're good to go. But you look very pretty. Thank you. So do you. You don't even need makeup. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, of course, we have to remind you about our Patreon. If you are out of true crime content and you want some more, We've got over a year of banked episodes. You get one bonus episode every single week, plus video content and lots of other freebies over there. And we'd love to have you in the first day underground. And we're covering cases that our listeners are requesting. So we're not going rogue over there. We're giving the people what they want. So join Patreon, submit the case that you've been dying to know more about, and we will bring it to you. Absolutely. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. In the past decade, and especially the last five years, 
there's been an increased amount of publicity and media attention, focusing on the proliferation of police brutality in the United States, particularly in relation to the Black community. We've looked on in heartbreak and horror as the aftermath of the murders of people like Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, Botham Jean, and George Floyd played out before our eyes. And not even a handful of these unjustifiable killings, there was some accountability at a criminal level for the officers involved. But we know this is the exception rather than the rule when it comes to proportionate repercussions in response to such violence. At the same time, Law enforcement these days is constantly recruiting to meet the need for increased frontline personnel. However, this means nothing if adequate training isn't provided before officers are handed a firearm and largely left to learn on the job. So many more officers have and continue to get off scot-free in unjustifiable shootings. So we begin today's case on April 16th of 2010. Two years after the global financial crisis, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charged Goldman Sachs with defrauding investors over the firm's alleged misleading conduct towards investors. The NYPD and Queens Gang Squad arrested 104 people in a massive gun and drug bust, disrupting an operation bringing in $780,000 a year. It's also the 38th anniversary of NASA's launch of Apollo 16 from Cape Canaveral in Florida. And in the world of pop music, Rihanna was at number one with her single Rude Boy, followed by number two by B.O.B. featuring Bruno Mars with Nothing On You. And at the box office, moviegoers were going to see Kick-Ass and How to Train Your Dragon. The setting for today's case is Venice, Florida. Situated in Sarasota County in Florida's Gulf Coast, the city of around 26,000 people is located about 72 miles south of Tampa. With 14 miles of beaches, Venice is a popular spot for boating, fishing, and swimming. Infrastructure and development took off there during the 1920s, when town planning laid the foundation for what the city is today, with its Italian-style architecture in the downtown area. Venice was also the winter headquarters for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. I'm not really thrilled with circuses, but I have <laughs> gone to one of these before I believe this type of circus went out of business. Before we realized the everything that was happening. Yeah, and before like Sigmund Roy, Freud or Roy, who was it? Sigmund and Roy. Uh Siegfried and yeah, Siegfried and Roy, not Sigmund, got attacked by their tiger. Yeah, like animals don't belong in circuses, people. Absolutely not. And for something a bit different. Venice is known as the shark tooth capital of the world, thanks to the large amount of fossilized shark's teeth found on its sandy shores. And we are fortunate today to not have just one, but two guests today. Heather and Joe are a married couple who live in Venice and each separately has ties to law enforcement. Heather previously worked at the local sheriff's department while she was studying art at the local college. And Joe is a retired police officer and a former Marine. So let's start with Heather. Right out of high school, I worked for the sheriff's department. Sarasota County Sheriff's Department has a mounted patrol unit. Like, I literally just hung out in a barn. Like, they called me their barn manager, but I mucked stalls and I hung out with the horses and I would, like, give them baths and, like, help them get ready. The cops that worked for Sarasota County, I knew them because I would take care of the horses and I would hang out with them. And here's Joe. I never even thought about cops. I don't know why I really became a cop. It literally was a random Tuesday, I think. I just got back from my sixth appointment, third as a contractor, and my parents and I had a falling out, and I went for a drive. I saw a trooper at a gas station. I didn't even know we had the troopers, to be honest with you. It was the most random thing I've ever done in my life. Heather had another family connection to the local sheriff's office. Her dad was a sheriff's deputy. At the time, 
the majority of the cops that you would see were all Sarasota County sheriffs. And yeah, he did work for them. Back in 2010, Heather and Joe's proximity to local law enforcement meant that they had a front row seat to things happening in Venice, even though it was a small town community made up of mostly retirees. But that year, they were confronted with a shocking case that completely rattled the city. Out of the blue, Heather received a text from a friend who said his best friend had been violently killed. The news was shocking, as Venice was a pretty small place, and Heather wondered whether many people knew the person who had lost their life. It turns out, many did. I just remember him being so upset and texting me that. I'm sure he texted everybody that, because Venice is a pretty small town at the time. And I was just like, what the f-? I was like, holy crap. My heart sunk. So meanwhile, Joe, who hadn't gotten together with Heather at this point in his life yet, had just returned from a Marine deployment and was recovering from an injury when he got a phone call. It was from a friend who asked if he was going to the funeral. So Joe thought, what funeral? It was for a guy named Tyler, a former teammate of Joe's from high school. And not only had Tyler been suddenly killed, it turns out he'd been murdered. I was in an undisclosed location rehabbing after an injury from a deployment, and I got a phone call, and they were like, hey, are you coming to the funeral? And I said, funeral? And then they told me Tyler died, and I was like, what, a car accident? And they're like, no, he was shot. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I was like flabbergasted. So for Heather and Joe, who were each dealing with this sudden and sickening news, there were so many questions. Who had killed Tyler and why? So to find out what happened, you know the drill. we got to go back. Heather and Joe had each separately heard about the sudden and inexplicable death of Tyler Spann. Tyler was born on June 5th of 1989. He grew up with two sisters and attended Venice High School, where he played football and he was the captain of his high school wrestling team, going by the nickname The Spanimal, which I love. Me too. It was so good. Tyler also attended Grace United Methodist Church and was a member of the Indian Guides and loved going fishing and hunting with his dad. Joe remembered Tyler as a super nice guy who encouraged Joe in his wrestling, even though Joe wasn't very social in high school. When I met Tyler, it was in freshman year. I was trying to play football, and I was a really skinny, gangly kid that should not be anywhere near that football field. Tyler was playing, and Tyler was, you know, he's a stout kid, uh, muscular, definitely one of those kids that you would look at and be like, I don't really want to fight that guy. The way he talked, or the way he spoke, and the way that he was just nice to everybody. and He didn't care who you were. Like, I I wasn't a very popular person in high school, but Tyler is someone that I did speak with on on occasion, and and I can tell that he actually gave a shit. Because when he went to wrestling and I went to wrestling, man, he made it look easy. Like, I'd be struggling on days, and he'd be running circles around me, but instead of poking fun of me or pointing out my deficiencies, he would just tell me, come on, let's go. You got this. You know, that's the kind of person he was. He wanted to see everyone else elevated with him, not just surpass them. I can't even think of one person that had something bad to say about the kid, which makes this all more tragic. After graduating high school in 2007, Tyler and Joe went their separate ways, as people do. Tyler worked at Publix on Venice Avenue and moved into a shared house with a couple friends, while Joe headed off to join the Marines. Tyler was known to everyone as a generally good kid who was well-liked, hardworking, and popular. In 2007, he was arrested for a DUI, but was put on probation. 
After that, he stayed out of trouble and like nothing better than having his friends over for parties, like any normal 20-something. Beyond that, Tyler also had professional ambitions at work where he was hoping to one day get into a management role. Then on the night of April 15th, 2010, Tyler and his roommate Chris decided to head out to a local bar named the Old Venice Pub. After getting in using their fake IDs, the young men had two beers each before heading home on foot at around 12.47 a.m. According to the Sarasota Sheriff's Office, just before 1 a.m., the guys decided to bang on a random neighbor's door in an impromptu game of ding-dong ditch. Tyler and Chris may not have known it initially, but the house they'd chosen was the home of a sheriff's deputy whose marked patrol car was parked in the driveway. The deputy was off duty, but he was awake and working on his computer at the time inside his house. And earlier that night, just before midnight, somebody else had knocked on the door of the officer's house where he lived with his wife and his baby boy only to run away. The officer's patrol car had recently been vandalized and there had also been several break-ins in the neighborhood. So at the time, the officer's guard was really high up. At the end of the night, they were walking home and they were walking past this cop's house again and they pounded on his door again and then they took off. So now hearing the second disturbance at his door, the officer didn't call the Venice Police Department, who had jurisdiction of this area. Instead, dressed in shorts, a t-shirt, and his Crocs, he grabbed his gun, which was not connected to his gun belt, and headed out into the night. But he didn't take his taser, his pepper spray, or his handcuffs with him. The officer got in his patrol car and drove around looking for whoever had knocked on his door doing that ding-dong ditch. And by this time, Tyler and Chris had split up. Chris was heading home, and Tyler was kind of playfully running to hide. He was in civilian clothes, flip-flops, grabbed his gun that he wears while on duty, got into his squad car, and took off looking for the people playing ding-dong ditch. And then they were really close to being to the house. They could see the cop car down the road. However, the officer soon found Tyler three blocks away hiding in the bushes outside a home in the 400 block of Lisbon Street. He confronted Tyler, telling him to get down on the ground and to stay there. So Tyler supposedly complied, and the officer returned to his car to call for backup, before calling a friend from the Venice Police Department for assistance. But according to the off-duty deputy's account, Tyler then got up and ran straight towards the officer, screaming and swearing, fuck you, you're going to have to kill me. The officer later claimed Tyler was punching at him and trying to grab his weapon. And some of the struggle could be heard by witnesses. Then, the off-duty officer fired two shots at point-blank range, killing Tyler almost immediately. They could hear him yelling at Tyler, who was, like, hiding in the bushes. And then they heard, like, loud noises and an altercation, and they heard a gunshot. And then someone ran down... And they found Tyler in the road, like on his belly, bleeding. He died there. The officer immediately radioed again for assistance following the shooting. According to reports, by the time additional law enforcement officers arrived on the scene, Carlos's squad car had been moved 10 to 20 feet away from where it was initially stopped. By the next morning, news of what happened began to circulate to people like Joe and Heather. I remember calling Coach Kelly the wrestling coach and like what is going on and he told me a quick synopsis and then when I heard it I just couldn't believe it the pieces did not add up the technicality of somebody choosing to go after a ding-dong ditcher and then ultimately shoot somebody I mean like how do you get from that point to that point it doesn't make any sense 
you know, I, I couldn't even reference any other cases that are similar except for maybe it doesn't involve a cop with Trayvon Martin or something like that. But, like, you don't hear that all the time. You know how people want to blame somebody and, and then someone wants to look towards a reason? I couldn't even think about finding a reason. I couldn't even think about finding someone to blame. I just, I just couldn't understand it. So that was like back when Facebook was really big. There were posts saying like, I can't believe you were murdered over a silly ding dong ditch game. Like this guy's an asshole. This guy's a terror, you know, and a lot of like justice for Tyler kind of posts. So at this time, Heather was working at the sheriff's department. Her dad never spoke to her about the case, but her boss in the mounted unit did. And it was clear that a certain narrative was being put forth. He just kind of pulled me aside and he said, there are two events that happen with this boy. I remember he said boy. He said he should have never left his house to go after the boy. That was wrong. But however, the second event, when he attacked a police officer, he was in the wrong. And so the cop did nothing wrong. And that was it. He never talked to me again about that. But he made it a point to tell me that, like, it was justified. And I was like... I don't say anything. I don't ask questions at that time. You know, I'm at work and just like doing my job. And I was like, okay, like, I don't, what do you say to that? Tyler's autopsy showed that his blood alcohol level was at a 0.216, which is almost three times the legal limit. A contact bullet wound in the front lower part of his neck was likely fired with the officer's nine millimeter firearm pressed against his skin. And the bullet pierced his trachea and lung before lodging into the left side of his back. Tyler also sustained a second bullet wound to his upper torso. Small abrasions to his wrists and legs suggested a struggle, but it wasn't known how fresh these marks were. And understandably, a large proportion of the Venice community was rightly outraged about Tyler's death. He wasn't a violent or an aggressive person, so nobody could really make sense of what had happened. And he was also only five foot three and about 150 pounds, so he was hardly a physical threat to anyone. Tyler was also so close to home when he was shot, it made no sense for him to not comply with a deputy's instructions and instead escalate the situation. The feeling among many people in the community was that if the officer were simply a private citizen, he'd be facing murder charges. Because based on the information, there was no basis for him to order Tyler to the ground in the first place. And even though Ding Dong Ditch is a really silly little prank, Tyler wasn't even trespassing when he was doing it, which requires a warning to be given beforehand for somebody to stay off the property. Everybody was angry. Like, it was straight up how everybody would react now, but, like, before all of the the media and, like, the spotlight on it. Like, people were pissed because it was a really big deal. Like, no one shoots a kid in Venice. It was huge. Oh, people were raising hell. A lot of people were trying to get petitions started. And I'm not saying they wasted their time, but Venice at the time was a very, very, very small community. Only a few gas stations, few traffic lights. Heather was upset, but given she didn't know much about what was going on, at least initially, she felt conflicted given her personal links to the sheriff's office. Venice is a retirement community that's all mostly older, white, conservative people. So the older people were on the Sarasota County Sheriff's side, and then the younger people were on Tyler's side. So there was just this big shift. It was, like, really senseless, because I think at the time, like, I've only known a few people to die, but they had, like, diseases growing up, you know? So it was, like, the first person that was, like, just like us, who was popular. He had a lot of friends, and it was, like, it wasn't a car crash. He got shot. 
at the time I was still trying to listen to what my boss said and be like, okay, well, like maybe they had a reason. I was stuck between like, I work for the sheriff and like my dad's a cop. Then at the same time being like a kid and being their peer, I was like, this is actually kind of fucked up, but I don't know what to say or like what my role is. Joe attended Tyler's funeral with around 700 other mourners who packed the church completely, and it was intense and emotional. Many of Tyler's friends and family wore camouflage patches with a white tee. And in honor of his love for fishing and hunting, Tyler was buried in camouflage clothes. Everyone was there. It was insane because everyone was in disbelief. And I think more people came there looking for answers. I mean, obviously to remember Tyler and remember what he's done and remember who he is, but... A lot of people were there asking questions, like, because no one knew. Like, no one understood what transpired. I mean, people were obviously in disbelief that it could even be happening or what just happened. But a lot of people were there asking questions because no one had anything. No, they weren't being told by the sheriff's office. The family didn't know anything. I felt so bad for the family that they had no idea why he was ripped away from them. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. The city of Venice, Florida, was left reeling after 20-year-old Tyler Spann was shot and killed by a local off-duty sheriff's deputy. And many residents wanted this officer to pay for what he did. But would he? A policy of the sheriff's office was that off-duty officers are not to get personally involved in neighborhood disputes or make any arrests in regards to situations or cases that they're personally involved with. So on this basis alone... Surely something so grave would warrant serious disciplinary action. At least, that's what Joe thought. I think about it like this. At my age now, you know, if someone wanted to come after me, I don't think I would leave my family alone to go chase the possible distraction that's luring me out of the house. Like, that's the first thing I thought of. Like, okay, if you really thought you were in danger, you're the one chasing after them and leaving whoever's in your home, whether that be a dog, the house itself, a wife or kids, according to your statement, you jumped into action, you took your firearm and you chased them down in your patrol car. It's like, what? Why? Did you see a weapon on him? Do you believe that he was going to commit a crime that was going to hurt or harm somebody else? No, there's no, there's no way. There's no justification for even inserting yourself into the situation. So who was this officer exactly? He was 33-year-old married father of one, Carlos Verdani, who had been a sheriff's deputy for Sarasota County since 2001. I just thought about not the person himself, but where did he go to school? Where did he learn to be a cop? And then I started started thinking, what agency did he go to? Oh, Sarasota County. And then I started thinking about all the stuff I've been hearing about them, because when we were in the academy, a lot of stuff was happening in Sarasota at the time. Uh, They were having some issues with SWAT teams hitting the wrong house. There was other shootings involved, other investigations, the escalation of force. Carlos and his wife also happened to own a bar in Venice called the Tappan Cork, where eventually protesters gathered to hold up signs in the days following Tyler's death. Tappan Cork was actually owned by the cop that murdered Tyler. And so one of the things that people that were on Tyler's side and people in the community that supported Tyler's family did is they held up signs on the corner where the bar was saying honk if you believe in justice for Tyler and like signs basically saying that this bar is owned by the man who murdered Tyler Spann. They ended up causing so much hell where they actually sold their business. When questioned by other officers about the shooting, Carlos was adamant that his life was at risk due to Tyler making a grab for the gun. He explained that he shot Tyler twice because the younger man fought back after the first shot. And in stating why he chose to pursue Tyler and Chris, Carlos said, I didn't want these guys to come to my house one of those nights when I'm not there and my wife is there with my four-month-old baby, and I don't know what those guys are going to do. Carlos added he detained Tyler on suspicion of loitering and prowling. And while you might think that toxicology testing for officers in these situations would be routine, Carlos wasn't tested, purely on the basis that he didn't appear impaired. 
Carlos was placed on administrative leave the day after the shooting as the Sarasota Sheriff's Office immediately started making preliminary inquiries. And of course, they had to review what happened that night. And in comparing the physical evidence with witness statements, they had to consider two things. One was whether criminal charges should be brought against Carlos. And the other was whether he breached specific agency policy. It's not uncommon for law enforcement agencies to investigate itself with regard to minor complaints. But with something as serious as a fatality, it is best practice for a separate agency to investigate to avoid issues of conflicts of interest, right, and bias, and maintain objectivity. But we'll get to that more later. Tyler's friend Chris told sheriff's investigators that he ran home separately and was only 15 to 20 yards away when he suddenly heard shots, but he didn't hear any prior warning for anybody to stop or get down. Chris's view was obscured by trees and bushes, but when he ran out to the road, he saw Tyler's lifeless body laying on the ground near the front passenger side of the cop car and Carlos on his police radio. One couple who lived across the street told investigators that after hearing gunshots, they came outside to see Chris yelling and cursing at Carlos. You shot my friend. You shot my friend. Why didn't you put handcuffs on and arrest him? Another witness told police he saw Carlos approach Tyler after the younger man got up off the ground. But this conflicted with the same witness 911 call, where he stated he saw Tyler attacking Carlos unprovoked. Another witness, as well as Carlos's friend from Venice PD, who was on the phone with him, heard Carlos order Tyler to get to the ground. But despite these conflicting witness accounts, the Sarasota Sheriff's Office found that Carlos was indeed in fear for his life. And they concluded that even though Carlos was off duty, his pursuit of Tyler was within his authority. I'm not sure how that works, considering he wasn't supposed to pursue someone in a personal case. I mean, I don't understand how they made these findings, but... It all seems pretty contradictory to me. Yeah. And his decision to not call 911 from the outset, apparently they found to be reasonable. Also, I don't understand that. These determinations were made within 72 hours, which seems really fast given the magnitude and seriousness of what had occurred. There's timeliness and efficiency, and then there's rushing to sweep everything under the rug and make it go away as quickly as possible. And it seemed as though the latter was happening here. The sheriff's report was then forwarded to the state attorney's office for prosecutors to review and consider whether Carlos should face charges. And as an aside, it's not clear why the shooting wasn't referred for investigation by a civilian review board or an independent commission. Because this oversight mechanism is in place to hold law enforcement accountable, even though we know the extent of their powers are limited and degree of participation varies significantly depending on the cooperation of the agency being investigated. And they can't compel law enforcement agencies to take action under any specific legislation, in most cases only being able to make recommendations. So it definitely seemed like the sheriff, Tom Knight, had Carlos's back all the way. Tom Knight, I read the article about what he said to the public and not even questioning his deputy's decision making and only saying, well, if Tyler Spann didn't fight, if he would have complied He wouldn't be here. It's like, aren't you going to answer why he was chased in the first place and why he was his Fourth Amendment rights were violated? All I know is at the very beginning of the situation, a cop made a very, very stupid, bad decision to go after this individual. And no one's talking about that. He well, he wasn't talking about that. (laughs) 
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Following the Sarasota Sheriff's Office suspiciously fast investigation into Tyler's shooting, the attorney's office agreed with the Sheriff's Office assessment and on May 6th found Carlos acted justifiably in using deadly force in this case. They also agreed that Tyler knew Carlos was law enforcement and was the aggressor. So effectively, this meant no policy review and case closed, which just seems really unfair and unjust. He was cleared less than 30 days later. I know that the internal affairs report came out. Even though it ultimately cleared him, there was some serious questions in it, like, why were you stopping him? And why did you do this? It was all about his decision-making. More protests ensued outside the Tap and Cork bar following the outcome. But it was business as usual for Carlos, whose career seemed to be entirely unaffected as he returned right back to work. I think the standard is like they have a few days off and they review it. So they were like, he violated some things. Like he should have never gone after this guy. But once he's identified himself as a cop and he gets into an altercation and what the cop said was, oh, he reached for my firearm. So I shot him. I lost track of him. At the memorial and after the coaching for the summer, I went to contracting. So I was out of the States. I did not keep track. A week later, according to the Sarasota Herald Tribune, the Spann family wrote to then-Governor Charlie Crist, asking for an independent review by a special prosecutor. We couldn't find anything further in the research on this matter, so the assumption is this request was denied. Then, just two weeks after that, Carlos was on patrol duty when he had an encounter with a group of Tyler's friends. He was at a gas station, and he went in to get soda or something, and a couple people were there as well. So they saw him and recognized him, and they said, oh, you better watch out. You might get shot by him. And, like, this altercation happened. Like, that's how unhinged this guy is with these, like, 20-year-old kids. He, like, called them the R-word and called them pieces of shit. And I think the kid might have mentioned, like, I hope your kid dies or something like that, which would outrage me. But, like... He was on duty, and so there was this big deal that happened. And the only thing he got was, like, two days suspension without pay for that altercation of, like, getting in those kids' faces who just lost their friend. There's no denying that this is highly unprofessional. And provocative behavior was a bad look for Carlos. And towards a group of young adults, no less. Like, sure, they were being antagonistic and saying stupid things. But can you blame them? I mean, their friend was murdered, and Carlos is back 
on the street working his beat as a deputy. That's frustrating. So Carlos, here's an idea. Be a fucking adult and rise above. And like Heather said, after another internal investigation into the latest incident, Carlos was suspended for two days. He was also reassigned to non-patrol duty, but any consequences for him were pretty passive at this point and totally in line with what many people had come to expect from the Sarasota Sheriff's Office. So despite Joe's disgust at what happened to Tyler, we know he went on to become a police officer himself. And he has his own perspective on officer-involved shootings. And his take might surprise you because Joe is highly critical of Carlos, the sheriff's office, and the decision by the state attorney. You always try to give him benefit of the doubt. I agree with always doing that with everybody. However, when I interact with cops, and I don't know if other cops do this, but I hold them to a higher standard. Because you're supposed to be trained, because you're supposed to have the mentality that you will run in first into danger, and you know what you need to do to be successful in that danger. You are the one carrying the gun. You are the one carrying the handcuffs, and you are the one responsible for taking people's rights away from them. That cop because he's been bestowed that responsibility, should be and should always be held to a higher standard. And that's why I said, hey, I'll be a field training officer, but I'm going to hold him to the Joe standard. I'm going to hold him to the higher standard. Because, see, I would fail or recommend remedial training for recruits who got into an altercation or an argument or into a not great situation on the side of the road. And the first thing they did was reach for their gun. There are so many steps to take before you even touch or even think about touching that gun. If your first thought is, I need my gun right now because I'm in danger, and the person's yelling at you, you have so many tools on your tool belt to use. Hell, you have your hands. But the problem with cops today and the problem with that cop specifically, they're all worried about one thing, getting their fucking asses beat. They're so scared that they reach for their gun first instead of saying, I'm going to go hands-on and put this guy on the ground, put handcuffs on him, take his ass to jail. So when I have new recruits, and the first thing they do is reach for their gun when they're getting yelled at because they give them a speed ticket, they failed. That is not your first step. Your first step is your mouth, de-escalate the situation. If that doesn't work and you need to put them in handcuffs, then you have your hands, baton, pepper spray, taser. We don't do that anymore as cops. That's part of the reason why I'm not looking back since I retired. There's so many more steps that we can be taking. We shouldn't have to always reach for that firearm because the problem is they've never done it. They've never been in that situation before. They've never gotten their asses beat or they were bullied in school and they think they're going to beat everyone's ass now. It's like, no, you're supposed to be the one that's trained. You're supposed to be the one that's ready for these situations. You're supposed to be the level-headed person. Yes, everyone gets benefit of the doubt, but I do hold cops to a higher standard. And what about the recruitment process for law enforcement in the first place? Most of us really trust that psych evaluations will weed out the bad apples. But Joe told us in his experience, this process, too, is very flawed. I think the psychological for law enforcement is way out of date and it's way underfunded. And it's not the primary reason why we have the issues we have today, but it is one of the issues we have today. Properly filtering out these people that should not ever, ever have a badge on their chest. Uh, It's pretty much a joke, the way they run it. I don't know how it is recently, but when I did it, I thought it was a fucking joke. But Joe's critique isn't just about the state of modern policing in the U.S. in general. He's understandably disparaging when it comes to his experience with the culture of the Sarasota Sheriff's Office. Sarasota and Venice is such a small community. 
the biggest crime you'll have there on a regular basis is DUI. I mean, some drugs here and there, but they don't have the problems like a major metropolitan area has, like Tampa. It was an eye-opening going from working Sarasota to working Tampa. And after working there, I will never, ever, even if I wasn't retired today, go back there for any reason whatsoever after what I've witnessed. I've been asked to sign affidavits of crimes that were committed that I don't believe were committed. I have evaluated other drivers that were arrested for DUI that were clearly not impaired. I've seen people being the crap out of suspects, don't see the resistance. I saw a lot of things and I detached myself. I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm never coming back. Joe's perspective is actually kind of refreshing. And during the interview, it surprised me because I was saying things like, well, I understand that police have fear. And, you know, like I was kind of trying to have empathy for a police perspective, right? But Joe was kind of like not having it. He was not making apologies for officers involved in these type of shootings as a former law enforcement officer himself, which again surprised me. According to the Washington Post, in the last year, 1,020 people have been shot and killed by police. That's almost three per day. And this doesn't include shootings by off-duty officers. So why is this figure so high? It's a complex and multifaceted issue, obviously. But the research points to a few things. First off, recruitment, screening, and the lack of adequate funding and time dedicated to training standards. It's a huge issue, especially given the lack of centralized policing. Second, there's a distinct lack of de-escalation and tactical training, teaching officers how to use non-lethal force and the ability to act calmly under pressure without reaching for their firearm first. And in places like New Zealand, officers are unarmed. And over in the UK, police generally don't carry guns instead of relying very successfully on de-escalation training. Gun culture is another major contributing factor. Here in the US, officers anticipate that everybody has a gun pretty much because the law says that they can. So seven months after Tyler's death, his family announced that they intended to file a wrongful death suit against the Sarasota Sheriff's Office, but a win was looking unlikely. A wrongful death claim is difficult to prove against police because even if one is successful, the system doesn't want to open the floodgates with people thinking that suing cops is easy. And what about Carlos? Where is he today? So the great irony of Tyler's case is not only did Carlos face no consequences, but he went on to become a detective and later won multiple awards, including Law Enforcement Officer of the Year in 2014. Now he specializes in fraud and financial crime. He's a detective now for the sheriff's department, which is honestly really messed up. People should still know about Tyler and like what happened. And this guy still has a job. And obviously people aren't all good or all bad, but there's just no way that this passes the smell test. In 2016, Carlos was sworn in as a special deputy by the U.S. Marshal Service on behalf of the Secret Service. Four years later, the International Association of Financial Crimes, Investigators, named him as Law Enforcement Officer of the Year. I mean, he's another award. He's already won this award, but he won this specifically for his work on several complex financial and cyber-related crimes. But an award in December of 2020 really took the cake when Carlos was recognized with a Meritorious Achievement Award for his work as a member of, wait for it, the Officer Involved Shooting Team. 
Yeah, that is right. Somebody who had been involved in a shooting of his own is now actively responsible for investigating shootings involving sheriff's office personnel, as well as members of the Northport Venice and Longboat Key Police Departments. That's pretty insane. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, in Hollywood, everyone always talks about failing upward. You know, like, we always can't believe, like, the the people at the top of the entertainment industry. And it's like, I didn't think you could fail upward in policing, but I see this more and more. Like, the police chief in the Long Island serial killer case, he had gotten in trouble so many fucking times and they're it's just like, like raise, chief. raise, raise. And then this guy's involved in a really sketchy shooting. And then he becomes head of the unit investigating police shootings. It's just like, is this a fucking joke? You can't make it up. I know. There's not anybody else out there that might be a better equipped for this, for this award or this job. It's pretty, oh, it's pretty insane. Totally. And despite Carlos having been cleared of Tyler's death, albeit under dubious circumstances, all we can say is that whoever approved of him joining this unit of law enforcement, I I, I just, I have no words for you, really. Zero words. Last year, Carlos received a life-saving award for saving a woman who was choking while he was off duty. Thankfully, the woman survived due to Carlos's emergency training kicking in appropriately. But it's just tragic that he couldn't demonstrate that same level of response 12 years earlier when he instead chose to end the life of an unarmed young man who had committed no crime. Heather doesn't think the consequences for Carlos would be the same today on the heels of the many high-profile police killings, but she knows that jurisdiction has a large role in how these things play out. I think what happens is like in Florida, anybody who, not even like a civilian, if you say, my life is in danger and I let them know I had a gun and they reached for it. Like, they're going to be cleared. But I feel like he would have had harsher consequences or there would have been more backlash. Joe thinks Tyler's story would still spark widespread anger today, largely due to the fact that Tyler was white. And the research shows that the deaths of white people at the hands of officers get way more media coverage than those of black people, which is disgusting and obviously so fucking unfair. But Joe also thinks that cases like George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement have very slowly started to force law enforcement's hand when it comes to the meaningful policy change around what's considered an objectively reasonable level of force. It's hard to really predict what could have been because of how many factors there are now a days with cops in, in situations. But I will tell you this, after all that stuff happened with George Floyd and other shootings, a lot of departments around, even in the state of Florida, have changed their policies and we're getting ready for someone forcing them to have something step in, if that makes sense. And out of all of this, Joe hopes the public will continue to make some noise and speak the truth about police violence. He knows the community likes to give officers the benefit of the doubt, especially when there are so many great cops out there who are full of nothing but integrity. I think we've settled for bare minimum than reaching for the stars, to be honest with you. But especially when it comes to cops, like they should be held to a higher standard, just like Marines should be held to a higher standard, just like Army, military, you know, anybody in a profession that can take someone's life or take someone's liberties, do better. You should want them to be better. You should want them to be the best of the best because they're the ones with the badge, with the gun, with the title. And I feel like we've settled, which is causing a lot of issues. 
There's not one person on this earth that doesn't look at a cop and say, uh, should you be a cop? I mean, uh, are you really that good? Instead, we've hired a bunch of people, done mass hirings, and just allowed the bare minimum to qualify, join. And then you're wondering why we have these issues. There's no question that officers need to be held to the same level of accountability, if not higher, than civilians. Not try to hide behind their badge. Because the consequences of Carlos's actions, Tyler will never get to reach the potential he had at the same age as Heather and Joe. And if Tyler's situation were replicated today, the outcome would hopefully be different. We know that in one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, sometimes shooting just happen in the midst of a sympathetic nervous system kicking in, driving a primal fight or flight response. And we also acknowledge that most cops don't take on the job actively wanting to go out and kill people. They do put their lives on the line for us every day with the best intentions. But situations like Tyler's have ramifications and they must be proportionate because these victims shouldn't be forgotten. Hand in hand with appropriate disciplinary action and punishment, we need to see better training and policy changes implemented across law enforcement and transparency when it comes to the data available on police shootings and a greater level of accountability through meaningful oversight. Huge thank you to Heather and Joe for being our first degrees for today's episode. If you are listening and you have a story to, to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon if you want some bonus content and uh, stick around tomorrow. We'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monica for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are the Sarasota Herald Tribune, the Tampa Bay Times, the Guardian, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Conversation, Rutgers University, MappingPoliceViolence.org, PrisonPolicyInitiative.org, CNN, PBS, the U.S. Department of Justice, and Vox.com. And as always, our first read guest is always our largest source. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.